Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, it's big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed time with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime time for climbing. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. I'm Chris Kalous. Your host, this is episode 8, a conversation with my friend Steph Davis. It is April 2nd, 2012, 6 o'clock or so, Mountain Standard Time. I missed my deadline of the 1st yesterday, which is my self-imposed deadline to put these things out, the 1st and the 15th. Sorry about that, but I have a good excuse. I've been climbing a lot. I've been to Shelf Road here in Colorado, been to Mill Creek, Indian Creek, Castleton in Utah, and climbing locally because the weather's been great. And I really don't want to become one of those people who starts talking about climbing more than they are actually climbing. That would be really sad, and I would be a really sad man. And besides, if you notice that it didn't come out yesterday and that upset you, then you two are leading a little bit of a sad life. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate your support. I appreciate that you're hanging on tightly. But yeah, if you noticed it didn't come out yesterday and that made you mad, then... um. You need to take a step back and call some friends and hang out with them. Uh, today's show, like I said, is with Steph Davis. Steph is one of the most well-known climbers of my generation, certainly one of the most well-known, accomplished female climbers of my generation. She hates to be bottled up in that trad climbing qualifier, but she's certainly made a name for herself in that realm more than a lot of others. And besides, when she started climbing, um, it was just called climbing because there really wasn't much sport climbing to be done. Interestingly, Steph is a well-known climber who is also well-known outside of the little climbing bubble. Um, she certainly has a fan base outside of climbing thanks to her website, High Infatuation, which deals with a lot of lifestyle, health, mind, body, as well as climbing, as well as base jumping, as well as outdoor adventure, and um, inspires a lot of people. So that's kind of cool, too. Talking to her made me start to wonder who was kind of coming up on the girl side of things in trad climbing these days. Uh, maybe I'm sort of out of it, but there doesn't seem to be a name that jumps into my head like Lynn Hill or Steph Davis uh, in terms of people coming up and trad climbing. There certainly is a lot of women out there quietly crushing it, but am I missing the sort of that next big crack climbing, big wall American female superstar? Anybody? Am I missing that? I might be. I see a lot of pictures of and videos. I actually watched some videos of young female climber Sasha de Gillian de Gillian de de Gillian de Gillian Gillian French Gillian de Julia Julia Gulia de Julian. Anyway, I don't know. None of the videos tell me how to pronounce her name, but all those videos are of sport climbing, mostly in the red. And, you know, I don't know. That just doesn't grab me. I mean, for me, and I think most people in the long run, sport climbing is kind of boring and forgettable. I mean, it's cool to do and it's exciting in the moment, but uh, does it last? It, does, it, does it last in our, our collective imagination? 
Does anybody know who the first person to climb 13B was and what the name of the route was? I mean, off the top of your head. Has anybody ever noticed how the grades substitute the name of the route? You ask your buddy, like, what'd you climb? He says, I don't know, some 12B over there. Maybe there's just too many to try to remember all the names. I don't know. Actually, that would be a really great show. Somebody needs to come on and convince me why somebody climbing 14D instead of 14C should get me all tittery. I mean, if you think about like Lynn Hill, she was a brilliant competition climber, continues to climb sport really hard, climbed as well as anybody in the day when she was in her prime sport climbing. But what's the one thing we really remember about Lynn Hill? Does everyone want to say it together? She free climbed the nose, the big route. That's what we remember. That's what captures the imagination. So Sasha de Gijon, if that's your real name, take some advice from me, someone who's been around the block, someone who's read the book, climb, like 40 times, okay? I know my history. You want to last in history. You got to do the big stuff. You got to get out on the big stuff, sister. I want to see you on El Cap next year. I want to see you on expeditions. You know what I'm saying? I know you got the big contract now, but I'm telling you, big stuff. If you need any more advice, Sasha, my door is always open. The normal cast is waiting for you. So just give me a call or have someone from Adidas give me a call. or I don't know how you do that sort of stuff, but somebody needs to call somebody. Anyway, back to Steph Davis. Steph Davis does climb the big stuff. She not only climbs it, she sometimes free solos it. Not only does she free solo it, sometimes she jumps off the top afterwards. So let's get to it. My conversation with Steph Davis, not just a traddy. brought my level up that's better okay so you can hear yourself well i was quiet and you were loud that's gonna be normal because of my <laughs> dusky voice um, okay so that's not actually causing any problems so you can keep that thing on the phone i yeah. turned the um i turned the volume down because i wanted to see people liking your your stuff thanks the second i posted your suitcase one of your fans said that they were listening to your podcast that, that is awesome doesn't hey, that make thanks, you happy uh, was it well, Johnston, something Johnston? It was Ken Johnston. Ken Johnston. Thanks, buddy. I'm sitting in uh, uh, Steph Davis's double wide in Moab drinking tea, and Steph has agreed to sit down for a lengthy interview for the Enormal Cast. I really appreciate it. Oh, now you're going to stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> you're making me nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, well, let's get into it. We already started. I'm going to leave all that other stuff okay. in here. So. so I've known Steph for um, about 20 years. That's amazing. A little longer, actually. Both- but not really consecutively. No, no. We've, we've drifted apart and come back together. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Which is wonderful. Yeah. We're so happy now. <laughs> but Steph and I went to Colorado State together in the late 80s, early 90s. When did you, when did you start? 90? No, I uh, started. I went there in 91. 91. That's yeah. right. Because that was my sophomore year. That's when I met you. But then I don't think I knew you when I came back from my master's, did I? No, I was gone. You were gone. Yeah. But then I knew you again in Estes in the guide check. Mm-hmm. 
Barely, yeah. Just barely. When you had that that song, remember that song? The song, the Elkhorn <laughs> Avenue yes, song. That yeah, was so good. <laughs> I was so impressed. I wish I had a recording of it. Maybe I'll, I wish I'll dig you did too. I can still remember you singing that song because it was so good. <laughs> it was. It was a satirical song about uh, about SS Park done to the tune of "Dirty Boulevard" by. It Lou was Reed. great. I think I have the lyrics somewhere. Maybe I'll post them. And you played really well. I mean, that was amazing. And at CSU, actually, my earliest memory of you is that you and I had a class together. And I don't think you actually knew me at that point. I didn't know you. But I knew that there was this girl in the class who was a climber because you'd have like a... a, Climbing t-shirts. Yeah, climb like a... (laughs) What was the pump? The... the the, the, the horse tooth hang. Well, there's a horse tooth hang, and then there was something pump was another one. But anyway, it was a Shakespeare class with your advisor. Dr. What was his Henzi. Name? Dr. Henzi. You agree, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. That was his line all the time. <laughs> He'd end everything with, you agree, don't you? But uh, yeah, so I was sitting there, and I was all like this total grubby, long-haired climber that would wear headbands. And then there was this girl that Did was Did you also- have long hair? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and haven't you seen my uh, the, the passport on Lisa's wall? I don't remember. Yeah. Check it out. She's got it stuck around her door there. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Anyway. So that's what I remember you initially. And I was just like, who's that chick, man? She's a climber right on. And then we didn't really know each other Mm-mm. other than casually, maybe just because the scene you was You probably sat small. in the back and I sat in the front mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were up front <laughs> like, oh, oh, I know the answer. I know the answer. <laughs> but no. you did know the answer. So it's I cool. did. I did mm. know the answer. <laughs> he made us memorize uh, like 20 lines for the final. Do you remember that? I don't remember anything, I know. Chris. That's okay. I, I, I have this weird memory. <laughs> You've of got the good long-term like memory. Yeah. See, I'm too too easy to remember for the short term, and then it just has to be flushed. Right. So you had started climbing before you got to CSU, though, in Maryland. Yeah, I started in Maryland. That's yeah. why I ended up in CSU. Okay. So tell I me exchanged. about that. Well, I just started climbing, and then as it turned out, I was in Maryland. That wasn't really an ideal place. To, to be, be a climbing, rock climber. yeah, yeah, and this is pre gym, so you got to pretty much be outside. There was, I remember somebody had a gym in DC in their little garage. Uh-huh. I went there one time, and then actually, it was pretty interesting because right around that time, they opened this huge gym in Baltimore called Clipper City Rock Gym, and it was like a big deal because hmm. it was a huge gym. Like people were traveling there on the weekends. Oh, right, like a crag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what there was. Yeah, but and in fact, when I went back to Maryland, because I had to do that because I was only on exchange. I ended up working at Clipper City for a while because it's pretty much what was going on. But like you said, there wasn't a big gym scene. Right. That was very, like, really new and weird. Uh-huh. So you moved to CSU kind of to climb or? Um, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And you were an English major also, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was I. So we should have been, like, best friends. Yeah. But I was really shy. I was way too intimidated because I was from the East Coast and people... Mm-hmm. I don't know. People just weren't as friendly and outgoing, you know? Really? Yeah. You found the East Coast to be more friendly than Colorado? No, 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 no. No, where I was from. Oh, where you were from. Yeah, okay. because I live near D.C. So you're just, used to people. Sh- well, it just wasn't like done to like walk up and look straight in people's eyes and oh. be like, hi, because that's kind of how you get mugged right. or something. Right. So I just, I didn't, you know, I was a little shy anyway. And right. then I, the the way I was brought up, you don't really just go in people's face and get uh-huh. all friendly. So I, I was always it was harder for me to like do that you know uh-huh. at first so i think that i remember kind of after a while becoming aware that you probably had climbing t-shirts also <laughs> no i probably didn't because i was but like you had like outdoor clothes yeah, yeah, and sure. stuff like that yeah. but i i was i would never have gone over right. and been and like said, hey, hi climber. climber guy yeah 
would have been way too terrified. Well, the truth is, is if some some girl had done that to me, I just probably wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I'd have just gotten on my rollerblades and skated away. Like, oh my god, she's talking to me. Goodbye. I'll, I'll see you later. So we we were not destined to be friends, no matter what. <laughs> Unless something happened, like unless right. we had both been climbing right. at the same place with someone else, that would have that would have been lucky. So you're in Maryland <laughs> and you get into a little bit of climbing. Like just real quick, like what? I mean, how did that happen? Like what? Did someone you know climb? Did, did you go on a, a outing with somebody? Well, I was very not athletic growing up at okay. all. Like really not. Mm-hmm. And um, that's hard to believe. Yeah, nothing. Hmm. I mean, I maybe that's too melodramatic. I think when I was like a little, little kid, I probably mm-hmm. did gymnastics class or something. And I remember in school, I didn't really like team sports very much, but I like track. That's a pretty typical climber thing. Yeah. Like get a is. bunch of climbers on a basketball court and you'll see like that none of them ever played any sort of like real ball sport. At yeah, I didn't really <laughs> see the point, right. you know? I think that's a really typical climber <laughs> thing. So, so yeah. So then what happened? I mean... So then... So anyway... um. You know, I guess by default, I got like deeper and deeper into music as a kid, even mm-hmm. though I might have done like some school sports, but I didn't really like them. And um, piano, right? Piano, yeah, and flute and singing. I just uh-huh. through high school, it was really serious. Like I had probably three music classes a day, and then I would be allowed to skip other classes and practice in the practice rooms and uh-huh. stuff because I was like pretty deep into music. So, um, so I was. I thought I would just. No wonder you were shy. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't really used to talking to people. <laughs> it wasn't something I practiced very much. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I thought I would do. I thought it would just kind of keep down the piano road, even the first year of college. Mm-hmm. I wasn't an English major then. Uh-huh. I was still studying music a lot, and then um, but then you know, first year you got to take all those other classes. You have to take like. It's not like high school. You can't go in the practice room. And right. Skip all yeah, your they classes. force you to take your general ed. You're yeah. forced to take other classes. <laughs> so, um, and I remember I had to take math, which I was pretty, I didn't really like math and science. English majors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't very good for me. And, um, and so I was kind of traumatized and then I, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to take calculus because if I take calculus, I will never have to take math ever again. Cause it's beyond any requirement. Mm-hmm. My requirements were like algebra. So I was like, I'm taking calculus and then no one can make me take math mm-hmm. ever again. It's going to mm-hmm. be over. So I was taking calculus and, um, and then I think like a year before that kind of uncharacteristically, I got really into mountain biking uh-huh. and, um, and I kind of like taking my bike apart and cleaning it and stuff. And Maryland's pretty good actually for mountain biking. Uh-huh. There's like mud and trails and, and, um, for the first time I was pretty psyched about a sport. So I'd be at school with my mountain bike because University of Maryland is this huge campus and I would just ride the bike around to classes and I was skipping my calculus class (laughs) because it was really nice out (laughs) and I'm just sitting there next to my mountain bike and this guy came up to me, which of course was weird and started talking to me (laughs) when it was weird. (laughs) You pulled out your flute and started nervously playing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was scary, you know, but, um. But he wasn't like a normal looking person. He was this kind of like ruggedy looking guy because people were more business attire and stuff. Sure. You know, yeah. University of Maryland. It mm-hmm. was, this is like 1990. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, ah, what's up with this? And then, um, but he was really nice. And he just said, you know, I'm from Wyoming. I exchanged here. People really aren't super outdoorsy around this campus and you have a mountain bike. So I just thought I would see if you might be somebody to do things with because I really have no one to do anything with that's like an outdoor sport. And I was like, huh. 
And he said, well, you know, if you want, we could like go rock climbing. And like, I didn't know what that was. Right. Quite honestly. No, no. I grew up in the Midwest. I know. I, I never like, heard of it. Yeah. There, there was not the gym culture. Mm-hmm. It was not mainstream. It was 1990. Like, sure. I literally didn't know what rock climbing was. So I was like, huh? What's that? Right. And he's all, well, you know, you climb rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Just like it sounds. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is that like repelling? Because I remembered in high school this one day, this kid said, do you guys want to go repelling? And I had no idea what that was. And they explained it. And then I didn't end up going. Right. So I was like, huh, weird. And then, but then I was intrigued because right. I had no idea what it was. And I was like, all right. So I just went with him and then um, I loved it. Right on. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. Because then I was just all about rock climbing. Uh-huh. And then I kind of like dug in a little bit mm-hmm. and there was an outing club mm-hmm. at the school with like, you know, four people in it. Right. <laughs> that would go climbing. And then um, I was like, I'll get a job at REI because uh-huh. then I'll meet more people that do stuff. Right. And then I worked at REI. And so I like, you know, was forcing my way into like mm-hmm. the core group of Maryland climbers, which was like five people. Right. And, um, and then quickly realized that if you would go out West, there was more climbing. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sure those people like are probably, you know, still thinking of you as, you know, you became, she became like this famous climber and she started here with us in Maryland. Well, you know? as a matter of fact, um, Tony Lorenzo was my good friend who really took me under his wing mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I have seen him since. And it's really, really cool. Just a couple times mm-hmm. over the years. Actually, Kevin Reese is that guy who came up to me and took me climbing and showed me that there was the student exchange program. And very sad thing. He was this airborne ranger who turned into a wolf biologist. He was like the kind of guy that looked like all those things. And he was like this amazing guy. He, he, I saw him a few years after that. He got married to this woman who was super rad named Lisa. She was a hot shot, which is those smoke jumpers. Uh-huh. And, um, I saw him at Waco tanks and then it was just really thrilling to see him after all that time. And I was like really down the climbing road at that mm-hmm. point, And he was really psyched. And then this is super horrible. He ended up getting, um, a brain tumor and he died no. from it. And I, I called him cause I got his phone number right before he died. And I was like, Kevin, I just want to tell you that you changed my life completely. Cause it's because of you that I am doing all the things I'm doing, which I'm really happy about. And, um, and this was the guy on the mountain bike. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, you know, it was kind of a rough phone call because, like, he was really fighting with it because been, yeah. he he knew, like, he understood what I was saying and he wanted to say things back, but the words would come out wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was a really weird conversation. I remember even because, um, you know, I called him and I was like, I, I really just want to tell him this. And then he was like, yeah. And I remember that first day. And I took you and he was trying to say climbing, but he said jumping because he was actually a skydiver. Oh, right. And at this time, this was years before I ever imagined that I would skydive. So it was really, I remember it was like weird and I could tell that his brain was picking the wrong words, but he knew what he meant, you know? And I was like, man, and it was very sad, but I felt like, you know, I told him Mm -hmm. and he knew that that he was a really important person in my life. Wow. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, he touched a lot of people. I wrote um, something about him, just uh, just a small thing in a blog post, and mm-hmm. a few people commented on it, and they, they said, you know, I met Kevin Reese, and he was just an amazing individual. Right. Well, somebody that would leave is, you know, even to to go ahead and leave your 
your comfort zone in Wyoming and go to Maryland to do whatever. Is well, because like, he was you know, studying wolf step. biology. Sure. And he had been mm-hmm. this airborne army ranger. Like, he'd right. done all these crazy things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a really, he was a tough guy. It's just, it's so crazy how cancer can just, you can be the toughest person. So when you, so when you're, you're, say you're hooked on climbing and like you decide to make this path, like, can you put into words like what it is that grabbed hold of you so hard? Well, I, I really liked the fact that I didn't know anything about it. Uh huh. I think I'm kind of a curious person Mm -hmm. and I like finding things out and I like learning things. I think above all, I like learning things. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I think for me in life at that point, I had been specializing so severely in music. Sure. And I sort of felt like this, this ceiling on me almost like there was this thing I wasn't punching through at that point, I guess, cause your learning curve really flattens. Right. But at that point I was doing music so intensively and sure. I just felt like, I don't know, I felt like I wasn't really where I wanted to be with it in a way. I'm kind of perfectionist person. And and I don't know. And I felt like it was just something I always did. Like since I was three, it wasn't, I never really decided it. I was just doing it. The music. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know. It just, it was just this thing I did. And then, I mean, obviously I liked it, but when I went climbing, I was really lit up. I was like, Oh my God. God, sure. I love this. Sure. And I was so excited. And then I realized like I knew zero. Like I didn't know how to tie mm-hmm. the knot. I didn't even know like I was wearing Kevin's shoes and they were mm-hmm. too big. I didn't even know how you would know what shoes to be wearing. Sure. Like I knew nothing. And it was just really interesting. My next question was co- going to be you obviously gravitated towards trad climbing, but I guess that answers itself because I mean that is like the world of learning all the sort of ins and outs. I mean, it's so much more complicated than, than bouldering or clipping bolts. Yeah. Because when I first went top roping, I was all like, wow, how do we know which tree to tie the rope for for top rope and which knot and stuff. And I was like super interested. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I, you know, finally learned all the top roping methods. (laughs) And then then when I was working at REI, there's all this gear. Sure. And I'm like, well, what's all this? Like, how do you even know which gear you have Mm -hmm. or get and what do you do with it? And so, yeah, it's just really interesting. You know, there's also that that kind of circumstantial thing. Is I'm always sound like the old guy on this thing, but <laughs> you know, in the 1990s, there just wasn't very much sport climbing to be done anyway. You either you were mm-hmm. a trad climber, just that was just a climber. There was no yeah. extra word attached to yeah, it. Yeah, I've always, yeah. I honestly, I have a problem with like mm-hmm. the expression trad climber. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I just mean, always call it normal climbing, right? You know? And it it's. <laughs> It has become, I think, kind of a necessary thing in terms of at least talking about the differences. I know. Else. It just so, always rubs me yeah, the wrong way. Yeah. Well, I'm going to rub you the wrong way with it <laughs> some more then. All right. So fast forward, you're at CSU. Um, you're getting into climbing. Now the whole world's in front of you in terms of the Rockies. Well, no, because I went to CSU for a year. Oh, right. And then I had to go back to Maryland. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was very, very upsetting. So that little window I saw you in that class. It was a little window, and then it slammed back shut because I had to go. I was on exchange, which means you go for one year, and then you got to go back home again. Uh So it was pretty... Like, because like you said, the window opened and then right. I was back in Maryland. Oh, man. I know. So that's why I hustled. I did my junior and senior year of school in one, one. Mm-hmm. So it was two semesters, nine months. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, bam, I'm out of there. And I applied back to CSU for a master's. Okay. And thankfully they took me. Right. And so then I got to come back. Okay. So that's when 
now you're now you're now like it's all going good. for it. Okay. <laughs> now it's all good. But it was definitely a little traumatic uh, there when I had to go back right. home. I was like, no. <laughs> right. And and I guess sometime in there, you know, or after that, when you're in Estes, is sort of where I then kind of reconnected and, and yeah. knew you again. Because that's when um, I think I spent a bunch of the summer up there after my first right. year of the masters, mm-hmm. and then when I graduated. I actually skipped graduation because I had a waitressing job in Estes by then. Right. My parents were bummed. But, um, and then that summer I moved I up to Estes. Mine too. Well, I, I was just, just like, like, what's going. the point? Yeah. I have a shift. I need right. to earn money so I can go climbing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what are we going to do? I'll stand around and get yeah. a piece of paper? I already yeah. did it. So, so, yeah. So then that summer I was up in Estes and I was waiting tables. Okay. And then that's when you were guiding. Right. And at some point in there, I remember going on a trip to Devil's Tower with you and your magician friend. We went on a trip together? Yeah, don't you remember? No. Who was your friend who was the magician? <sighs> Chris, this is so horrible. You just okay. like I'm don't just adding you to the file of people I've been on trips with and I don't even remember. Do you remember the magician friend? It must have been Andy. Yeah. We all went up there. Me and Marco and you and Andy. We did? Yeah. See, why can't I remember and, and anything? And your buddy Andy was doing like card tricks and stuff in the campground you know what i've noticed i have a really bad memory anyway That's but okay. i noticed after going i remember after going on that trip to shipton spire uh-huh. and it wasn't even that high of altitude right it my just memory got it. even worse yeah <laughs> so i'm trying to blame that for um the fact that i can't remember anything but, all right anyway but it was i don't a great remember trip that but I, I can imagine that that would be a trip yeah. we would take. <laughs> and andy your buddy was like andy was the best he was killing it at the, every night he, he was, was a great magician oh, he yeah, was an air force pilot Andy. i know i remember yeah no and was, he was getting his masters in um physics in mm-hmm, boulder yeah which that, is how i ended up meeting him yeah no i, I thought yeah I, I guess i had an impression on me oh well because i, we I knew together, andy though. a lot so mm-hmm. i'm sure we went on a bunch of trips yeah. but i just don't remember that specific i didn't know i actually went climbing with you no well we were you were climbing with andy and uh, i was climbing, you were climbing with marco, with marco. Yeah, so. so once again we missed our opportunity yeah, anyway those those were good for you to become my favorite player um um, so you're in Estes Park. Uh, then I lose touch with you. Gone. That's it. You're gone. Um, because you pretty much go to California. Colorado. Yeah. No, then I was in Moab. You're in Moab. Moab slash everywhere else. Right, right. So, and that's kind of that's when you sort of uh, became a name. Then I started hearing about you because you were in the magazines and you were in pictures and, and that sort of thing. So, and that's actually my next kind of kind of question is: so you're climbing a bunch, you love it, and Obviously, some doors start getting o- open to you in terms of becoming, quote unquote, a professional climber, someone who can well, climb all I the mean, time. I mean, first I was in Moab right. and I was waiting tables here uh-huh. for a while. And then and then I was guiding mm-hmm. for a while. So it wasn't, um, from my point of view, like this overnight thing. No, no, I, I imagine. <laughs> and that's what I mean by like, you know, these little doors get yeah, open here and there. Exactly. And probably the typical thing, you, somebody's giving you some gear and then you're getting a free harness and you're maybe getting, yeah. I mean, how did it end up working for you? Like well, that? I think what ended up happening in the very beginning was like, yeah, people were giving me some gear, which was yeah. great. Cause obviously I was just, you know, waiting tables and taking off a bunch of months and pretty broke overall, but I was living in my car so that. That's what, that's the way to make it work. Right. And then, um, and then I remember at one point I got a sponsorship that about equaled my, my waitressing income, sure. waitressing slash guiding income, which I think was like, I think I was making like $10,000 a year. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> so I was like, wow. I have those same tax returns. I don't know how I survived. Yeah. But, like, but then th- for me, that was amazing. Cause then yeah. instead of like waiting tables and guiding, 
now I could climb all the mm-hmm. time instead. So that mm-hmm. was like life changing, mm-hmm. you know, just e- eking up by like that. Right. And, and, but that really did change everything. Sure. Yeah. Well, th- that's what I mean. It seems like most people it's incremental and there's like some gear and then there's a little bit of mm-hmm. money and then, you know, and, and then you, you sort of make a choice of like, okay, well, how far am I going to c- kind of go with this? And mm. you're still living in your car. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, cool. I get to buy a house now or anything Oh, no, like no, that. no. Yeah. It just was that now instead of um, having to work in the restaurant mm-hmm. or guiding, I could mm-hmm. climb all the time. Mm-hmm. And as a perspective of somebody outside kind of looking in and someone who's, you know, follows the history of climbing, it's like you were at a position um, and, I, you know, I'm going to say that word again, um, as a woman who's strad climbing and going on big expeditions, but specifically rock climbing. And I think that made you stand out in terms of, of, you know, someone who maybe sponsors looked at and said, yeah, this is a person that, that we're going to, you know, it's going to represent us really well. Cause I don't think a lot of, there was a lot of people doing that. A lot of women particularly doing that at that time. You were a really good crack climber. And those images I remember being really like stuff like Indian Creek is, is everywhere now. And, and, you know, some of those first images of you climbing cracks down there, I think really stand out in people's minds. So, and then the El Cap stuff later on. So how, when you were, were sort of now free to climb as much as you wanted to, or as you could, you could pull off with $10,000 in your pocket Well, like or I whatever said, that replaced my income. Yeah. So I was, but I mean, yeah, I still had to live in my So car. how did you, you know, what, what were the kind of things that, motivated you towards different different projects i mean in t- somewhere in there you mentioned shipped inspire there's a lot of uh, images of you from el cap uh a little bit later than that well at that time i was really really psyched on going on trip and i really fell in love with patagonia the first time i went there was in 96 with charlie fowler and i was still waiting tables oh, but um that, but in moab it's seasonal and what happens is the restaurants shut down over the winter mm-hmm. so you you put part of your tip money taxes into unemployment. And then when the restaurant shuts in the winter, they give you back salary for right. those three months. So I think I think it was like $1,000 or something what I got. Mm-hmm. And so I just bought a plane ticket to Patagonia uh-huh. with that. And then I just was nuts about Patagonia after that trip. And so I ended up going down there for seven seasons. So at that time, my life was like winter meant Patagonia. And then, because I was sort of in that groove of like the expedition stuff. And then obviously I wanted to rock climb a lot, but I'd come home from Patagonia, I'd rock climb. And then it's the summer. The summer is a really good expedition time for the other types of places. Right. You know, I was like ready for any opportunity that came up. Sure. And so then I ended up going to Pakistan twice. I went to Baffin Island. I went to Kyrgyzstan because like, you know, anytime friends were going somewhere sure. and there was an opportunity, I was like, I'll go. Mm-hmm. And, um... So I was just on this like cycle. By the time you come home from the summer one and get things together and climb a little bit, now it's time for Patagonia. Sure. So that whole phase, it was just like this expedition cycle, which was rad. I loved it. Uh huh. Um, it was a struggle to rock climb to my highest potential and like I couldn't even come close. Right. Because, you know, you're carrying a backpack around a glacier. Yeah, expedition climbing is notorious for making you out of shape. Totally. Yeah. And so I would come home and like desperately try to get back in shape uh-huh. and then, but then you got to train for the expedition. You sure. got to start carrying a backpack up a hill or you're just going to choke on the trip. So it was a really like juggling a lot of different types of fitnesses, right. like trying really hard to, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like I would not have stopped going on those trips and I would always be like a little frustrated because I'd come home and you know, my friends would have spent like the whole season at rifle and just be crushing. And I would be like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> like project in the warmups. But, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't do? give up those expeditions. I just 
was nuts about it. And you're sort of, you know, if it wasn't a mission, I mean, obviously your focus was free climbing. Yeah. And, yeah. and even on these expeditions. Yeah. I've never known you to be some sort of stand in your aiders type person. So, well, when I went to Baffin, that trip I mean, was, was an aid climbing trip. Okay. And I did spend a little time, like I climbed the hallucinogen. Black Who did Canyon. you go up there with to the Baffin? To Baffin? Yeah. I'm with Russ Mitrovich. Okay. Right. And, um, but oh, yeah, I remember that. I kind of had this little phase and then I went on El Cap and, you know, did a winter ascent. Cause I was like, I was like, you know, aid climbing is my weakness and I need to, I need to be competent. Mm-hmm. You want to go climb big routes and do first ascents. Sure. You need to have a, good high level of being able to aid climb when necessary and i felt that i was lacking in that department and Mm -hmm. that's partly why i went in the baffin trip right but yeah i mean i like knowing how to do it and it is pretty badass and and nuts and stuff but i don't pick it right at this point but um you know i did do a little phase of it but you're, you're right i would much rather free climb so after that you've got this like trip after trip after trip after trip at some point that changed or mm-hmm. yeah and you and you settled down a little bit more in, on in yosemite and yeah then yeah. i was in yosemite a bunch right um and then and then i was you know i was starting to kind of have that frustration level i was just like oh you know right. i never get to free climb like i want to right because i'm always back from a trip and leaving on a trip and out of shape and mm-hmm. it's very frustrating you know right so i was in yosemite and um and then i i just thought okay i'm not gonna let go of patagonia but I'm going to stop the summer trips. This is going to give me the opportunity to stay a little more fit and push more with free climbing. Uh-huh. And then, and then I was in Yosemite. So right. I was like, well, of course you're going to free climb an El Cap because what else is there to do after a certain point? Right. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, it took a long time for people to come up with that equation. For well, you know, reason. I've been climbing there for a lot of years, right. you know, on trips and stuff. Yeah. So I had reached that point right. after many years. I know, but, but I'm just saying like it took forever for someone to go, you know, what? maybe we should go up there and free climb. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it took two Austrian guys coming. Yeah, much, exactly. Other than Lynn. Exactly. You know, and, so, and Todd and Paul. But, but yeah, so that's so kind of, that it, was what was going on. So I was like, yeah, the, you know, the all cap mm-hmm. stuff. I'm, I'm psyched on that. But you got a little domestic too, because you were married by this point. I was married. Yeah. Okay. And were you guys living somewhere or were you guys just, just still carring it? Well, at that point I had this place in Moab uh-huh. and I really called this home. Right. Um, but you know, there was a compromise to be made right. in that relationship. And the compromise sure. was spending more time in Yosemite, okay. um, which sounds like, you know, this ooh-ah thing, but as a lifestyle, right. Yosemite did not fit me very well. It's, it's a, I, I always find it to be a kind of an exhausting place to be because of everything but the climbing. Yeah. You know, I the mean, the climbing's fantastic, yeah. but everything else is like all the rules and people and bears and. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, I always find it just gets under my skin after a while, but I mean, well, you yeah. and I have very similar things that make us happy and right. similar lifestyle requirements. Right. And that's yeah. Yosemite wasn't that great for me. You know, uh-huh. I had Fletcher, my dog, right. and you know, she was like the other half of me. And then now she's illegal because she's a dog. And right. That oh, just yeah. really drove me nuts. And driving your car all the time. Yeah. If you actually live in Yosemite each day, Anytime you want to do anything, you're going around that loop. If you need to get food or something, some people do a pretty good job of staying mostly on bike, mm-hmm. but, um, a lot of times that's just not practical. Well, if it takes a bunch all of day, gear. right. Or yeah. it's like, it takes a huge chunk out of your day to exactly. do. Exactly. You so know, you're trying to get right. climbing done. That means you're driving mm-hmm. and the loop means that no matter what you do that day, you're in the car at least a half mm-hmm. hour. If you're living in Foresto, which I eventually was doing, 
each day that you go to the valley, that's an hour in the car mm-hmm. minimum. Mm-hmm. And just to me, that's that's a not an ideal lifestyle. Right. Um, and then, like you say, the the rangers. When you live in Yosemite, you're unfortunately a lot more privy to real life in the valley, sure. which always sounds kind of paranoid and nutso to people that haven't been there, but. When you actually live there, it is a it's a police force presence. Sure. Oh and no, they're not it, rangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of affects your personality because you're always second guessing yourself. Like, oh, am I in trouble right now? Should I be cautious? Should I be hiding? And you're looking over your shoulder. Yeah. That's not healthy. No, that just makes you like a cagey person. Yeah. So I didn't like that either. Um, so anyway, there were there were things that for me weren't great about mm-hmm. Yosemite, but but that's what was going on, and then that's why the idea of spending time in El Cap for me mm-hmm. was like a respite. Cause I thought, okay. And, um, and you know, at that time this was, people weren't climbing in El Cap that much. Right. And, um, and I wasn't very known in Yosemite and, um, I would take Fletcher. I would walk her up the Tamarack flats trail. It's like a three hour hike instead mm-hmm. of going up the East ledges. Sure. And I would walk with Fletch cause she was a really good dog. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she didn't do anything bad. She was totally obedient, very low key, very perfect dog. Um, so I could trust her. Like if we had to suddenly hide, right. she would know what was going on and she wouldn't be like chasing animals or bark. You know, she was just perfect. Right. Like she was better than me. Right. So, um, I could just see you like behind a bush, like holding a, your hand over her mouth. No, a couple of times <laughs> Fletch and I had to like go commando up there. Right. Once there was a helicopter rescue, really? bad timing. And right. Fletch and I were like darting from pine tree to pine tree to get out of there. It was terrible. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so I would take her up there with me. And then I would go stay in a little cave that wasn't the known cave. It was mm-hmm. like a secret cave. And um, Fletch would stay there. And then in the day, I would go down, wrap down and climb. And Fletch would stay in the cave. Mm-hmm. And then at night, you know, we just sleep together. And it was great. So it was kind of, that was a way I could make Yosemite feel normal. Well, it's interesting you, you talk about that because you were actually a, a sort of a distant inspiration to me at that time. Um, or right after that because... Uh, your article about doing the free rider that was in climbing, I believe was a big motivator for me to go out and do it to where I, cause there was that little shot by shot thing of you on the crux. Yes. Yeah, and I after like, I did free rider, everybody wanted to do I know. Well, I was that's like, what right happens, on. you know, it gets in the magazine. Yeah, exactly. Just, I was like, well, it got real busy up there. You know, I can, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, you know, partially was that you, you know, there was that promotion of it, but, but it also, you know, there was kind of a, collective pressure i think that yeah, was, there was a critical was mass that yeah, was coming because sure. that suddenly it was kind of explosion mm-hmm. on el cap and you know i had climbed el cap a bunch of times as an aid climber and so for me it, it the the seed was already in my head when i had heard about the free rider because of the grade and i was like wow maybe i can attain that and then then you know piling on that article and i knew you so i, I kind of like was like oh yeah you know like i climbed with her back in the day i could do this thing too and um but it was interesting to me to read about how much time you'd spent up there. And now it's enlightening to know that there was a there was a lot more to that than just wanting to climb the route. It was like oh, you yeah. were up there like hiding out. It was just to have a good lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. It was just something to do. Mm-hmm. All right. So El Cap, you end up freeing the, the head wall too on another trip after that. Was that right? To do the Salafay? Yeah. Well, same thing. You know, yeah. I spent, it was like something else to do. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take Fletch then because she was getting elderly mm-hmm. and there was no way she was going to walk up Tamarack mm-hmm. Flats anymore. And it was getting busy up there. Sure. And so. You couldn't hide out. Mm-mm, there was kind of, 
you know, it had changed. Uh-huh. It had become a different place. Uh-huh. But then, you know, she was elderly anyway. She didn't want to be going up there. So what I would do was um, I would make day trips to work on the head wall. Uh-huh. And I would just wake up at like 2 in the morning. And then I would walk up the east ledges. Uh-huh. You know, I'd be up there at like 6 or 7 a.m. Because it would get sunny after 11. So I would just be up there like real early, go down, work on the head wall. It would get in the sun 10 or 11. I would just go back down. Sure. And then spend the rest of the day in the valley. And Fletch didn't care if I was like out for the morning. Right. So that's, that's um, again, it was something to do. Uh-huh. And then it was something that fit in with, fit in with how things were. I mean, honestly, most of my things have revolved around Fletcher. Well, it's <laughs> his, yeah. And it's just like this very... <laughs> you know monk-like experience or existence you're just getting up super early every day and marching around and well it wasn't every day because i would need rest days then fletch got really old Uh and that's why i was at rifle that whole one summer because she couldn't really walk very well right i remember yeah the little uh the little wagon the little wagon yeah so such a good dog well and you know it's uh, just to kind of wrap this up so i then again this is all about me but (laughs) <laughs> I lost – that's also like a, an era where I sort of lost track of you. Not that I was tracking you, but I just remember thinking But we didn't like, see each other because I was in California and Moab and yeah. stuff. And I remember, you know, because of the articles about, about El Cap and so I, and I read those and studied that, that your beta for that for the crux pitch on, on the free rider and used it actually almost verbatim, I think. Because you're like the same size as Ex- me. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, mm-hmm. she can reach those holes. I can reach those mm-hmm. holes. Anyway, so then – then you you come back to Moab. I mean, when you said you're in rifle and all that, where were you based out of at that point? Well, I mean, I always was based out of right. Moab, okay. but I just would have these chunks of time in Yosemite. Mm-hmm. The Yosemite phase was over, <laughs> <laughs> and I was free to wink, live wink, in Moab. Nod, nod. <laughs> um, so then I didn't have to go to the valley anymore. Okay. And um, and you know, I I spent a lot of time in Yosemite, sure. and I'm happy for it. Right. And um. For me, it was amazing to free El Cap in a day. It was amazing to to free Freerider at all at that right, time. Right. And for me, and then it was amazing to free the Salathe. I can't really think of other big Yosemite dreams I would have like that. So I I feel really happy with um, that time. And, you know, I've gone back and done some other things that sure. someone like myself might want to do in Yosemite um, that might involve things that aren't climbing. <laughs> right. But, um, but it's... I, I don't feel the need to immerse myself there anymore. Not right. that I'm saying there's nothing for me to do. I'm just saying, you know, I've free climbed Half Dome, Watkins. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like all that stuff. and spent a bunch of time there. So I, I'm very happy to not have to be there a lot right now. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I wanted to ask you about free soloing because in the, the old show, we actually, unbeknownst to you, talked about you as an example of a woman who actually – uh, not just free solo on her own, but it was something that you were at least for a short era in there known for with the the ascent of the yellow wall. Or was what did you? Oh, on the diamond. On the diamond. Um, I soloed the casual route twice and right. the vertical twice. Okay, so we were just talking in that that episode about women not free soloing and why guys do it because most of the guys I know who are quote unquote track climbers. Sorry. <laughs> At some point, <laughs> almost all the guys, I almost all of them, at some point, at least dabble in it and say to themselves, "Well, you know, I I've done this route twenty times. I'm I'm going to try to do it without a rope." And and I don't find that many women that do it. I don't know what what it's all connected to, but you were a person that did. And I actually we were talking about before we turned the mics on about uh, when you were in Estes and I was in Estes. I was guiding, 
and occasionally you would uh if not for me or other guides people would talk about how suddenly they're they were on some route and all their clients were tittering down there and then steph davis came you know excuse me pardon me so i'm by like our four clients and then that would be the only thing they'd talk about for the rest of the day like this crazy woman that didn't have a rope on and all this stuff you know and like um so but what what was the inspiration there you said to me that you you'd free soloed since the beginning almost yeah well i mean yeah ever since i started climbing because i didn't always have people to climb with or I don't know. I guess it's like the same thing too. I like to do a lot of things by myself. Right. I like to, I've always liked running. I don't usually run with someone. I just like to go. I, to me, it's just one part of climbing. Right. What motivated you to step it up and, and do those diamond things? I have free soloed myself, but that sort of makes my palms sweat thinking about that. A, a long time before that, I kind of started stepping it up a little bit um, just with single pitch stuff at mm-hmm. Indian Creek, mm-hmm. just doing some harder um, free solos and one time I soloed Scarface and I I was starting to think it was kind of the weird thing about Indian Creek is that I'd have to bring a little tagline sure. and wrap down yeah, because because you, you don't top out. That's the thing. Yeah. So it's like a little bit not so great because it's kind of weird to do that. And then um, when I soloed Scarface, I was like, you know what? It's much cooler to down solo because mm-hmm. then it's like you go up and down again, no rope, right? Right. So I did that and then um, and I just kind of, I was always just slightly pushing it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, right? Not all the time. Like I, I would uh, kind of regularly, especially when I lived in Yosemite. It was just such a regular thing. Like almost every morning, sure, I would go do the Royal Arches, and then like you know every couple weeks or something, go do Snake Dyke, and then go up to Tuolumne and do like Fairview Dome, and so it's like a very regular routine of the easy soloing. But then sometimes for special, when you felt like it, pick something a little harder. Right. So I guess it's just always been in the mix Uh for me to do like a little bit of a harder thing. But then I'd never really done something, you know, so long, more committing of free soloing. And to me, the diamond was this, this huge dream, kind of like freeing El Cap. It's like this thing you dream about forever. Like, could I ever do that? Uh And then, because I love the diamond. I mean, I always was climbing up there. Remember when we were younger and that's why I was in Estes. It was for the diamond. Sure. I mean, I climbed yeah. there a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I was obsessed with the diamond. I spent a lot of time up there. And so to me, it was just always something. I always, I always dreamed of that. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, I did kind of like disappear into foreign countries and Yosemite and stuff like that. So that season when I went back to Estes, it was kind of like a homecoming for me. Sure just a return to those days. And, um, and I just wanted to be at the diamond at that time because I, I felt like it was missing and then it was the obvious thing to do. But yeah, that was really an interesting thing for me to see you up there doing that because of the, uh, Hey, what's Look up? How Cajun? Adorable she is. Yeah. To, you know, because like I said, my history up there too. So those sorts of things really grabbed me when someone I know and then do climbing on things that I've climbed on. I mean, that's just, it's just, pretty cool Cajun's all up in her lap licking her yeah she's so cute what a good dog so um moving on I you know I don't want to do the full chronology of your life but now you've got this whole (laughs) and I do want to touch on this although we're we're getting on here but uh this whole base jumping thing and you mentioned sort of wink wink nod nod going back to (laughs) all the things in Yosemite that you can do that that aren't climbing things yeah (laughs) well I'm not gonna gonna incriminate myself exactly (laughs) In that statement. Because I know how those rangers are. I'm not yeah, giving them anything. <laughs> Remember that ridiculous whole thing that um they like they 
hauled some poor climbers jumpers into court on a video oh uh, no I, uh, I know. it that, was terrible it yeah. was just terrible it's grim so that's why i, I will not incriminate myself <laughs> yeah at the podcast i'll press play you'll be like, uh. a normal cast will be in court i'm serious you laugh I'll get you, subpoenaed. Just, you just wait they're gonna subpoena us both and be like you must tell us the truth or it's perjury <laughs> um so you how did you end up starting to base jump um i started um actually the same season i came back to estes to uh-huh. climb the diamond I came back to Colorado. Uh-huh. I left Yosemite. Is that dog door making too much noise? No, it's cool. <laughs> She's in and out. That's cool. Um, I left Yosemite um, finally and just was like, what should I do? Uh-huh. And I just thought I want to go back to the front range. I just, I'll just go to Colorado. So, you know, a little bit lost right then in a way, but I, that's kind of, I guess you want to go home. Right. At those times. And to me, that meant the front range. So I didn't have a specific intention, like I said, of soloing the diamond that summer. I just kind of wanted to be near the diamond because to me that was comforting, like being home. And then I um, just very spontaneously, impetuously and impulsively um, decided to start skydiving. I I had some good friends at the drop zone in Longmont. And they were skydivers and had just become friends with them over the years. And, um, I was just like, hey, you guys, I want to learn how to skydive now. And they were like, what? Because <laughs> I had no interest in jumping before that, like mm-hmm. pretty dramatically. And I was like, yep, I want to learn how to skydive. Can you guys teach me now? And they were like, okay. So I just basically moved to Boulder and um, pretty much moved into the drop zone, just started skydiving. What year is this about? This was 2007. Okay. So not that long ago. Yeah. About five okay. years ago. And... um. And just got really obsessed by jumping, skydiving. Uh-huh. And like you say, I mean, every day I'd, I'd ride up in the plane and you exit and you're looking at the diamond. Oh, it's right on. right there in front of your face. And so, you know, as like the time went by, I was climbing more. I was going into El Dorado where I hadn't spent much time in the past. And, um, you know, little solo forays, like going up and soloing the flying buttress, mm-hmm. things like that. And just kind of getting up in the park and then... And then at the same time, spending time with the diamond. So it was like, it was all together when uh-huh. I was starting to jump. And then, but the summer ended and I don't actually live in Boulder. I have a house here in Moab. Right. And so I was like, it's time to go home now. And, um, but I was really loved jumping as much as I love climbing. And here, you know, we've got a tiny drop zone. It's a Cessna operation. It's not really set up for fun jumpers. It's more for tandems. Okay. And I was jumping every day for those first months I started and you know, it's kind of hard to go from like jumping every day to not jumping at all. And then, um, that's why I realized I had to start base jumping Uh in Moab. So then it was like a progression to base, Uh but I still skydive a bunch right? as much as I can. Uh huh. But I I live here. So, you know, it's like you can base jump every day. Sure. So it's a little more effort to skydive in Moab. And then you started doing expeditions to, you're up to jump off of things and well, that's the thing, you know, my summer trips became about going to Europe because here, frustratingly enough, um, the few wingsuitable cliffs that we have accessible and available to us are in national parks. And right. then you've got this whole ranger situation right. of like running around. And for those of you people. don't know, it's across the board illegal to base jump in national, national parks. parks. Yeah. That's right. So, which I find a very ludicrous rule, um, and enforced to a ridiculous degree. Yeah. 
Um, so it's just not fun. Right. It's not worth it. It's too much effort, too much risk, too much hassle, you know, mm-hmm. hike all night, right. hiding. Ugh. Right. So I would rather take all that effort and money. They bust you. They mm-hmm. charge you money. I'd rather just go to Europe. Right. And they've got huge, huge cliffs everywhere. Amazing for the wingsuit jumping. You know, you jump all day, every day, as much as you want. Yeah, you get busted once here in the States and it costs that much money or more. <laughs> yeah, your for, whole, the whole trip to Yeah, Europe, the whole budget. Right. So I, I just like to go to Europe in the right. summers now and not deal with that. And then in Moab, um, you know, we've got the short cliffs and it's all BLM land. Mm-hmm. And BLM does not outlaw base jumping. Right. It's just another sport here. And so I can jump as much as I want on the short cliffs. But with the you need the tall cliffs to fly your wingsuit. Right. And that's why I like to go to Europe in the mm-hmm. summers. And you met Mario, your husband now? Through base jumping? Um, I first met him skydiving because he was flying the jump plane here in Moab. And um, like I said, it's a small drop zone, but it's also a small town. Uh And so I live here. I'm a local. And if I make the effort, um, it's my friends who own the drop zone. And it's you're kind of like a third class passenger. Like you have to call and text every day and say, is there a single tandem today? And if there might be, you have to show up early and not be late. And sure. You could get bumped off because another person. But if you're willing to like, you know, go through all that, you can do some skydiving here. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely, you know, at times will devote the day to maybe doing a jump in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I was there to skydive and Mario was flying the plane at that time. You're like, sweet. I'll hook up with this pilot <laughs> no. to jump all I want. No, he, um, I know, actually we met, um, you know, we met in the plane, but then. But then he's Mario is a really long time, um, very motivated base jumper, and so again, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of people, mm-hmm. and he's also he's just really motivated for adventurous stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I was stoked on um, on free soloing Castleton on the North Face and jumping it, mm-hmm. I I just kind of needed to climb the route a few times mm-hmm. to see if that was a good idea, and to jump it a few times. And I was just looking for somebody that would want to do that sure. you know instead of like trying to find a belay slave or whatever I was like right. does anybody want to do this and mario was like oh yeah i'm always happy to jump castleton i'll i'll go i can jumar and so then that's kind of when we first were more getting to know each other cool time went by and, and you guys got married and jumped off uh, the tombstone is that right um periot oh periot mesa yeah. right on i just yeah. saw the pictures yeah so you like said said i do and then leaped off is that how it worked <laughs> well what it was was um we just kind of wanted to do something fun with right. all our friends yeah and and we really like periot and you're looking right at castleton mm-hmm. and and it's very beautiful and um it's a really cool hike mm-hmm. and for jumpers it's an awesome jump for um climbers climber friends it's just fun to go up there because there's like some scrambling and sure. almost like a via ferrata yeah i've been up it actually yeah it's yeah. really cool so yeah. it's really it's just worth it so we were like let's just you know all these weddings it's just so much too much right. all this like work and money and crazy and i was like i just want to do something fun right with our friends yeah so the idea was just you know our close friends that we do stuff mm-hmm. with let's just all go up there and the jumpers can jump and the climbers can go down and we'll have champagne up there and you know people can dress up in like crazy outfits yeah, yeah. and no, just, i saw the photos just for fun you know yeah. so the, the idea was just to do something fun so how much <laughs> of the wedding party jumped um i would say a good I'm looking at that picture. I'm saying at least 50%, maybe more. Nice. <laughs> That's totally awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. And so you have this connection with base jumping and that you get to climb these things and then jump off of them. Yeah, that's a cool thing to do. Castleton, you free soloed it. 
jumped off. I mean, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Like, what a connection. Yeah, that's, you know, honestly, of all the things I've done, like as a climber, mm-hmm. that's that's always going to be my favorite right. thing. That, and and you've climbed the Titan just... and jumped off of it? And... Um, no, I didn't climb it. Oh, I you jugged didn't? it. Oh, you jugged because it. Because some friends of mine were climbing oh, it. Oh, right, right. That's and right. And they said that on Facebook. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, would you guys mind if we used your yeah, right. lines because it's easy? And they were like, yeah, no problem. So I actually went and put my own fixed ropes and we, we jugged it three times and jumped mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. um, but That's a heinous was... climb anyway. Yeah, I have to say, <laughs> jugging it, I was kind of like, you know, I'm yeah. not that really inspired well, you, <laughs> to climb it myself. <laughs> from what I understand, as a free climb, it's really heinous. Yeah, I was definitely checking it out with, with those eyes and yeah. I wasn't that excited but I was happy to jump it and happy to get the free ride up it from those guys we have been climbing together a little bit this winter after so many years apart I and, know um, and think of all this time we've wasted oh I know it's so sad <laughs> 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 but uh I was just kind of wrapping up because we're getting on to about an hour here but uh you where where are you now with climbing? I mean, you've got this base jumping thing. You, you're starting a business um, guiding base jumping or and teaching. Uh, what you what did you say like second jump kind of style? Um, well, it's kind of a multi part thing. Um, there's the base jumping side, which mm-hmm. is the most general thing is guiding mm-hmm. of experienced jumpers that sure. aren't from here and they just want to be shown a lot of awesome places like with no hassles. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. So there's that, and then um, there's first cliff. Some there's first bridge courses right now, um, or I guess first base jump courses right. where you get taught as a skydiver at the bridge, which is how I learned. Right. And um, but then once you've done that, it's pretty different deal to jump cliffs. Yeah. Than a bridge. And so just, you guys are going to provide instruction in that. Yeah, for first cliff courses, uh-huh. um, tandem base jumping. That's Mario's department. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> and um. <laughs> That's actually how we got engaged. We did a tandem base jump. Really? Yeah, I had to be his first passenger. Oh man, and it that's was commitment. So much more fun than we were expecting. We really? just got all carried away and got engaged. Cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess so much more fun than I was expecting. And um, but also guiding base jumpers to jump towers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like people want to jump Ancient sure. Art and Castleton, but jumpers don't necessarily have the climbing equipment and skills. Right. And then you know a little bit of climbing guiding. Like I, mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of guiding in the past year, mostly um, to benefit Leighton Core. Right. People have just said, "Hey, would you guide me up Castleton?" And I'll say, "Yeah, you know, if you give money to Leighton, let's go do it." Sure. And just realizing that it's pretty fun to guide people in towers. Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoy it. Yeah, if you can, especially if you can sort of handpick your clients. That's the thing. Yeah. It's a special thing, you know. Yeah, it's not totally. everybody that wants to. And, and right. then um, and then it's actually really fun. So, so doing those things is the business, basically. What, what's, uh, so now where does climbing fit in to your life nowadays? With um, I mean, now that you're, you're splitting your time between this other uh, activity yeah, in a way that things. you weren't. 10 years ago. Well, the funny so. thing is it's less splitting because before it was such a struggle with the trips Okay. and trying to free climb. And now since I only really go to Europe in the summer and then mm-hmm. like little trips, I am able to climb way more consistently. Okay. Then, so base jumping is actually like less of a um, performance destroyer than going on expeditions. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause normally you'd think, okay, now you're, you're splitting your energies or whatever, but it is still a struggle, right. but you know, I guess in comparison to the mm-hmm. other one, it's less of a struggle. So is that kind of then climbing wise, your focus now is just, is trying to kind of just stay in shape and reach your potential on smaller things, not so much expedition. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I say, I really, really, really love going to Europe and flying the wingsuit. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's, 
very top priority. Right. Um, that takes priority over going on a trip to climb a sure. thing. Right. And so, so then at home, I just want to be climbing as much as I can and uh -huh. just doing projects in the desert because mm -hmm. that's what I really like. And you're still finding new stuff to do around here? Yeah, it's endless. Yeah. You're not going to tell me where any of it is? Secret. <laughs> Secret stuff. Right on. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I really appreciate you sitting down with me and I am really psyched to be climbing with you this winter. And I know I sort of bugged you until you committed to sitting I down. I wanted to do okay, the podcast, cool. Chris, because I'm your biggest fan. Right on. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks a lot. And thanks for letting me into your house. And I appreciate Mario <laughs> that you snuck around quietly in the background, wherever you are now. And, I think he's uh, fixing something. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> thanks, Chris. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Normal Cast. If you want to find out more about Steph Davis, communicate with Steph. You can go to her website, highinfatuation.com. You can follow her on Twitter at High Steph. You can also pick up her book. Amazon.com has it, High Infatuation, A Climber's Guide to Love and Gravity. Um, I think there might be a preface by Stephen Hawking. I'm not sure about that, though. Don't quote me on that. As for the Enormal cast, uh, please, if you like what you hear, tell some friends. Go to the website. Leave some comments. Go to our Facebook page. Our, huh, that's the royal we. My Facebook page. It's just me over here. I don't have an intern like Fitz Cahal does over at Dirtbag Diaries. The latest episode, at least it was the latest a couple weeks ago, uh, of Dirtbag Diaries has Fitz Cahal being interviewed by one of his interns. An intern. Anyway, I need an intern. They, or preferably she, could be editing while I was out climbing. And a little bit of, you know, light housework and some yard work and a few other things. Anybody want to send me an application, just feel free. Go to the website. <laughs> um, anyway, go to the website, leave some comments. Also, subscribe on iTunes. All this helps me. I need to get people listening. Because then I can go to Paps Blue Ribbon and say, yo, this is worth your while to give me some money. I want money and beer now. All right, that's it for the Enorma Cast this week. Thanks for listening. I ain't never seen them, but my common sense tells me the Andes is foothills and the Alps is for children to climb. These here is God's finest sculptures. There ain't no laws for the brave ones, and there ain't no asylums for the crazy ones, and there ain't no churches except for this right here. <laughs> <laughs>